Welcome to The Cap, where we are here to speak with college reps and other professionals in the field of college admissions to help answer all your questions and guide you through every step of the process. So if you're serious about college admissions, you've come to the right place. Are you ready? Let's talk about it. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Durante. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and I am here to introduce you to college admissions representatives and other professionals in the field of college admissions. Our purpose is to serve you, the students and parents, so that you may gain insight straight from the people who ultimately make the decisions. Regardless of whether you will apply to a particular school being highlighted, you should listen to all of the episodes as each guest will give you tremendous insight and advice on every aspect of the college admissions process, prompting you to come up with your own follow-up questions for when you visit campus or meet with a college admissions representative yourself. Lastly, if you have any questions you'd like me to cover on future episodes or any comments you'd like to share, please email me at collegeadmissionstalk at gmail.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.collegeadmissionstalk.com. So are you ready? Let's talk about it. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you today Kate Henshee, who is an admissions representative with the University of South Carolina. Kate, thank you so much for being with us today, and how are you? Hey, John. Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing great today. I'm excited to get to talk to you a little bit about USC. Fantastic. And we're very excited to have you and we can't wait to hear all about USC. So let's get right to it, Kate. What is it about the University of South Carolina that makes it appealing for so many students to want to apply? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And it's, I think it has to be a lot of little things, um, especially for students that are coming from farther away. And the audience that I typically work with is in the Northeast and the New England area. And they are drawn to, I think the first thing I always say is the location. Um, it is nothing like any of the schools we have around here. And I think the same can be said for our students that are coming from the Midwest or the West Coast. South Carolina is just a completely unique school in and of itself. So location-wise, we are located in Columbia, South Carolina, which is the state capital. And it is a city full of innovation, industry, beautiful parks, a thriving culture, and truly just a little bit of everything. And right in the heart of the downtown city is actually our campus. Um, at the same time, yes, it is in the downtown area, but it's very much that kind of cliche, I always say it's like the college campuses you'd see in a movie or a TV show. We have that cool balance because our campus was actually founded in 1801 and the city of wow. Columbia wasn't actually built until about like 30 or so years later. Wow. So the, the campus was built first and then the city was built around it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And so if, if anybody remembers their New York state history, it's kind of like when the capital of New York used to be New York City and then it was moved to Albany. So it's kind of similar where the capital used to be in Charleston and then it was moved to Columbia. 
similar thing happened, but our campus was there first. So they're <laughs> forced to build the Capitol around us. <laughs> so if you're ever on campus, you definitely see the essence of USC. And then you can tell exactly like where the bounds of the campus are. But at the same time, students can walk, you know, two blocks away and they have those fantastic opportunities for internships, for um, extended student life and really being integrated in the city. I think the second thing I always point out of why students are drawn to South Carolina is the academics, of course. You know, we have over 300 degree paths, including, you know, over 90 something minors, concentrations, 100 undergraduate majors. That number has gone up recently. We've added about five or so majors in the last 10 or two years. Wow. Yeah, it's just continuously growing. And, you know, it's state of the art research centers, countless student organizations, learning beyond the classroom, study abroad. I mean, truly, it's it's everything. And I always say what caps it off is that we do have the nation's top ranked public honors college. So when students are looking for a school that is unlike any other school and they also want the best of the best, they are able to find all of that at the University of South Carolina. Well, that's an outstanding introduction and it's obvious why so many students apply and want to spend not only four years of college there, but beyond. So let me ask you, Kate, how many applications does the University of South Carolina get a year? And can you walk us through the process of how you evaluate so many applications? This is something that people, you know, parents, students, they're always asking me about. So any insight that you could give us would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is a question that I also get quite frequently. And I think it, it kind of helps to put things in perspective when working on applications and also just trying to demystify a bit of the process. And, you know, the one big thing is the number of applications. So that number has continued to grow progressively over the past few years. So just recently in this year, the number of applications we received was well over 42,000. Wow. (laughs) Which is huge. Um, But also for a school that has freshman classes a little over 6,000, that kind of helps to put it in perspective. You know, it's a lot of applications, but it's a pretty decently sized freshman class. And our freshman or our entire undergraduate population is about, you know, 28, 29,000 students. So we are a big school, that in of itself. But at the same time, you know, when you get more applications, it can get more competitive to be admitted. Um, you know, up here in, in my area specifically, I work with several thousand students specifically, and a large chunk of the 42,000 students are coming from out of state. So I always tell our students, and I think it's really important to know that when you are applying from as an out-of-state student, we are comparing your application against all other out-of-state students. We don't have, you know, strict quotas or limits. We don't say, you know, only 10% of our class will be out-of-state or we're only going to admit X number from this state or that school. We're really just looking for the best of the best when we go through 
But at the same time, you are in that larger pool. Your application is being compared to every other out-of-state student, whereas our in-state students are in their own separate pool being compared to just the other students in South Carolina. So that's kind of the first thing I would say with evaluating applications. The most important and first thing that we will look at on an application is the academics. If you think about it, we need to know that, that you can handle the work at our school. We, don't, we want it to be a fit and we want it to be a fit both ways. And that's really important because we wanna make sure that the students that are potentially going to attend the University of South Carolina are going to attend and have the best chance of success. And if your grades may just not be a good fit, that's not setting you up for the best chance of success. So um, luckily we have a pretty large staff in our admissions office. We are we've got over 70 people that are able to help us throughout this process. So having 42,000 applications takes a bit of time to get through, <laughs> but we have so many people and so many great people that are able to go through this. It definitely makes it a bit less daunting. Um, so we start with the academics, but we do holistically review applications. And I think the word holistic is kind of this weird word that's out there. Nobody really knows, okay, what does that mean? Um, and so I think holistic is for me, in my mind, I say students holistic is basically our way of understanding you as an entire person. So in this, um, you know, it involves two parts. It involves taking a much, much closer look at your academics. So I can spend about 20 minutes looking at a student's transcript, truly. I can look at your transcript and see every single class you've taken, the rigor of your classes, your grade trajectory, you know, have you gone up? Have you gone down? Um, are there random outliers? Like, are you a pretty straight, like A, B student, and then there's a D in there? Um, you know, that's gonna lead me to wanna explore and figure out what happened. Was this just a really tough class? Did you struggle with that material? Maybe it was your very first AP class and it just wasn't, you weren't like, ready for that challenge, or it was just a little harder than you expected it to be. The other half of holistic is really diving in on your essay, um, getting an idea for your writing skills. Are your writing skills up to a college level? Um, your activities, seeing what you do. Uh, if you leave that activity section blank, you know, uh, I'm left to assume that you go home from school every day and just sit on the couch and watch TV. <laughs> and, you know, that's what's helpful. But the one thing I want to make sure every single person knows is that there is not any one individual in our office that gets to play God in these decisions. Um, nobody gets to read an application and make the ultimate decision. I never get to read your application and say, yes, this student is getting in, or no, this student is not. Every application is read and touched multiple times. So while I like to take the credit when you get good news, um, the truth is it's not, it's never just me. It's never all my decision in this. And you can rest assured that 
there's a lot of care that's given. Um, so when you put a lot of work in, know that we're putting a lot of work in also. Well, that's a tremendous answer, a comprehensive overlook of the admissions process in terms of what you're looking for when you receive those thousands of applications. So thank you so much. And speaking of applications and of course the students, what is the average profile of the current freshman class in terms of their GPA and any other related data that you collect, of course, such as SAT, ACT scores or anything else, Kate? Yeah. So I think that um, the the GPA is always tricky for students to see, especially because anywhere on our website or if I meet with students in person, they like at a college fair or high school visit or just kind of a one-on-one -on -one setting and they grab a brochure from me, they're going to see that our GPAs are kind of on this slightly weird weighted scale. Um, the reason that they are is it's actually a South Carolina scale. The best way to think of that is it, what is listed is a 4.1 to a 4.7. That is the weighted five scale. Think of that more like a B plus, A minus average, or on a 100 scale, it's having most of your grades in that high 80s, 90s range. And we like to see some rigor in there especially when, like I'm saying, we go into that holistic review of your transcript. One of the things that's going to stand out to me is, you know, you might be a straight A, straight 90s student, but if I look at that and I say, this student is getting, you know, all high 80s and 90s, but they never challenged themselves. They never took an honors or an AP or like college credit class. Um, that's, leaving me questioning. You know, you clearly are really smart. You are capable. And that worries me because I say, did you have the capacity to handle something more rigorous? So that's an important part. In terms of test scores, we are officially confirmed that we will be test optional for the class of 2023. So for any of our juniors right now, we definitely will be test optional, but those decisions are being made year by year at this point. Um, but our out-of-state test profile right now is about a 1250 to a 1380 or ACT 28 to 32. That's kind of what we're looking at, average academics. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much for that. And it really goes to, again, always putting your best foot forward, but building ramps throughout high school. You don't have to start with multiple AP courses, but by the time you graduate high school, hopefully you would have tried, you know, one class, two classes at the college level to just help the overall application so that you can see that a student has tried a course with some extra rigor and you'll be able to see if they were able to succeed or not. So we appreciate that insight, Kate. Thank you so much. Do you use the student's high school GPA as indicated on their transcript, or do you recalculate the GPA using your own metrics? I know you talked about the different scale, and I understand that, but in terms of the straight GPA, again, do you look at what's on the transcript, or is that recalculated? I'm really glad that you asked this so that I can kind of clarify this more. Um, just real quick side note for what you were just re referencing. I think that I have a lot of students that will ask and say like, 
oh, should I take this AP? Should I take this honors? Mm -hmm. And the number one person that you should go to is your school counselor. Absolutely. Uh, It's next to impossible for me to give you that advice because even if you try and email me or you say, these are the classes and the grades I got, you know, this past year or freshman, sophomore year, should I take this junior year? I don't know you personally. I don't know anything else about you, your capabilities. Maybe I don't know what else is going on in your life, but your school counselor knows so much more and they know the context of what is available at your school. They might know a bit more about your extracurriculars. They might know, you know, you have a passion for math. And if you're asking me, should I take an AP English language class and you secretly absolutely hate AP English uh, or you hate your English class, it's just not your strong suit. They might say to you, do you think that's the best choice? You know, are you really going to be passionate about that? Because what I can say is, you know, we see students do better. And from my own experiences, I did better in courses that I liked and I appreciated and I wanted to study for. So your counselor may say to you, what if we try, you know, maybe like an honors level English and you do the AP in a science because you love science. You do really well. You want to study that. That's where your passion is. So when you have those questions, go to your counselor first. Absolutely. Sometimes I can tell you, you know, I'd love to see a rigorous class on there, but I'm not going to give you like, I'm not going to say absolutely go do that class um, because that's also not my place. Well, I think that's great advice. And the counselors not only know their students, if students you've built that relationship with your counselors, again, building ramps during your years in high school. So not only do they know you and how you performed and they're able to guide you on next steps in terms of courses to take because they are experts on their high school's curriculum. So that advice is key, students, to always go to your guidance counselor, make an appointment. Sometimes it only takes five minutes to have a conversation, to get their advice. Again, they know you and they know their curriculum. So great advice, Kate. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So um, now back to the actual question. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. Um, so what you're asking about is, you know, do we recalculate GPAs, uh, which is an absolutely great question to ask, especially because as I was saying, on so many of our print materials and on our website, these GPAs are on this kind of weighted 5.0 scale. And the thing is, is that for the most part, no, we actually don't. So when I am looking at a student's application, I am looking at it in the context of their own high school. So as you're saying, your school counselors are the experts on your material. So I try and be, you know, a novice expert on your high school. (laughs) So one of the things that is really great and you may not even know is that your high school creates what's called a profile. And it's something they'll send along with your application. This is usually like like a two or three page document and it includes a lot of super helpful information for colleges. It'll tell us, you know, what kinds of courses your school offers if there are any restrictions for what you are allowed to take or not allowed to take, um, if a school has any sort of special programs, 
Um, it might tell us, you know, average SAT scores or average GPAs. It has a lot of really important facts and statistics on there. Sometimes it also has kind of some more fun information and it just helps us learn quick information about your school so that I don't go into reading your application and say, you know, why didn't this student take, you know, 50 AP classes? Because I'll look at the sheet and say, oh, wait, this school doesn't offer 50 AP classes. Or I won't say like, why don't they offer, you know, why aren't they an IB diploma candidate? And I'll say, oh, wait, they aren't an IB school. Kind of little right. things like that. Right. Sure. Um, so it's the same thing goes for GPA. Um, to be honest, I'm actually more familiar with reading schools on their own GPA scale because I'm actually a product of New York State schools as well. And so <laughs> um, having, although it was a while ago, um, I did grow up in a New York State school system. And so I'm used to reading your transcript the way it is, used to seeing titles like Regents class and, you know, whether it's as accelerated, enriched, honors, those are terms that are super familiar to me. And so I like seeing your GPA where it is. The reason on our, tr our profile or on our brochures and our website, it is scaled like this is because that's how we have to report it back to the state at the end of the year. The only time your GPA gets converted like that would be if you are admitted you decide to deposit and you decide to enroll at USC. Then at the very end, we take that class of 6,000 and we put them all on that GPA scale and that's how we get the average. But when I go through, I am relying on the school, your high school's grading scale and GPA to review your application. Well, that's great perspective on the process in terms of what you look for, what you look at and how you use it in terms of determining who's going to be accepted or not. So thank you again for that insight. If a prospective student falls a little below the current freshman class average, what are some of the things they can do to increase their chances of being admitted, Kate? Yeah. So the first, absolute first, most important thing I would bring this back to and remind everybody is academics are still the most important factor in our process. So I am always very realistic with families and I will have a conversation with you and I will let you know if I think South Carolina might be a little bit of a reach. So if that's a conversation that you'd like to have, you can always reach out to me. You can reach out to anybody in my office and we can chat about it. But I think that when you're at that point where you are saying, you know, my grades might not be 100% there or if it's a matter of test scores, remember that we are test optional. So you don't have to submit the test scores. Right, right. But in those situations, I say, remember that details matter. So pay that extra attention on your essay and your activity section and don't rush. There's no benefit to getting your application in earlier rather than later as long as it is in by the deadline. Often I find that the students that spend that extra week or two working on their application are the ones that have you know better grammar um, they don't make spelling mistakes they have really taken every opportunity to polish up their resume 
So when I go in and I'm really holistically reviewing your application, I might say something like, you know, the student might have one or two lower grades that I am not in, not really loving right here, but I'm seeing this other half of their application and I could see them, their, their writing skills are, you know, up to the college level. Their writing skills may be stronger than their English grade is showing me. Um, they're a very well-rounded student. They've contributed a lot in their school environment and in their community. So remember that part of the holistic process. So ultimately, the number one, if I were to break this down and say my one piece of advice is don't rush. Don't rush the rest of your application. Your college application process is dependent on the last you know, 16 years of your life. Yes, your academics are going to weigh a little bit heavier, but put some, put some weight on, on the other parts outside the classroom as well, because that, that could factor in. Great advice. Thank you so much, Kate. What about early action? If a student applies early action, is there any advantage or a better chance they will be admitted? What advice would you give a student considering applying early action? Yeah, so I think this is one of those questions that I, whenever I'm talking to a student, whenever I'm counseling them, um, even my own cousins who I have worked <laughs> with through their own college process, I always say this is one of those questions that you absolutely need to ask each college individually because it can change and vary so, so much. As far as the University of South Carolina goes, students do not have a better chance of getting in early action. So I would say with how it goes is our early action process weighs a little bit heavier towards the academic side. Students that are admitted early action um, tend to be towards the very high end of our academic profile. I say they are like, think of them as the cream of the crop, the absolute top tier academically. They are the students that would really be the ones that are, you know, maybe the top of their class, the ones that kind of blow that academic profile on our website away. Again, this is where I say don't rush. Make sure your application is ready. Um, don't ever submit it until you know it is exactly what you want because you can't change it. Once you submit that Common App, you can't go back and say, oh, I forgot this activity or I'm, I forgot this paragraph or I wanted to rewrite my essay. Uh, it doesn't work like that. You have to truly submit what you are happy with. So if you know that you're in that like tippity top academic above our profile and you know you love South Carolina um, and you're happy with your application, then sure, submit an early action. Or if you know you're confident in your application, you know it's done, you just want to get it off your plate, uh, submit it. You're good. But if you're not ready, if you think that maybe you want to reread your application, you think... I'm not loving this essay. I think I could do better. I want to have, meet with my counselor one more time. I need some more time to allow somebody to write me a recommendation because I did not give them enough notice. Go for regular decision. There's no harm. Well, those are great pieces of advice in terms of when to consider applying early action or not. 
And I have to repeat what you said in the beginning, which is the fact that every school is different in terms of how they look at your application, in terms of their deadlines. So it's very important, yes, to work with your guidance counselor, but also to reach out to the admissions counselors in the schools that you're considering applying to. One of the reasons why we have this podcast is to hopefully make people understand how accessible college admissions representatives truly are. So thank you for that answer as well, Kate. We truly appreciate it. I know that the University of South Carolina is test optional, but if a student does not choose to submit their SAT or ACT scores with their application, how does that influence merit-based scholarships or financial aid, Kate? So the first thing to know is that our financial aid process is 100% based on a family's FAFSA. So that is not going to be impacted whatsoever by a student submitting their test scores. In fact, the merit scholarships and the financial aid are actually handled completely separately. So when it comes to financial aid, that is handled by our Office of Financial Aid. um, And I actually can't see any of that information. And then when it comes to the merit scholarships, that is through the Office of Admission. And that is something that will be based on exclusively academic information. But that's going to be based on the academic information we have for each student. So for some students, we have test scores. And for some students, we don't. So for every student, we're going to use the information that is on their transcript. We're going to use the courses they've taken. We're going to use the rigor of the courses, the grades, their overall GPA. And then for those with test scores, that's also going to factor in. For those without test scores, it's just going to weigh a little heavier on their academic information minus test scores. Doesn't disadvantage the student. They're considered for every piece of merit scholarship. And important to know, it's completely need blind also. So nothing is going to be impacted by not having test scores. Students can also be fully considered for the honors college as well. We have students that have earned some of the top honors at the university over the past two years that did apply test optional. So everything is possible without your scores. In fact, this year, about 50% of our applicants did apply without scores. Um, And that in kind of the area of the Northeast, New England area um, that I work with specifically, it was pretty overwhelmingly test optional as well. And I have plenty of students that are admitted, plenty of them that are part of our freshman class this year. So it's all possible. You can still get in. You can still get a great scholarship and come down to South Carolina. Well, that's very encouraging. And I really appreciate you sharing that statistic. So 50% decided not to submit their test scores. So students and parents, it truly is okay to submit applications, test optional So as we've said in the past, if you happen to get a score that you're really happy with it and you think it's going to enhance your application, submit it. And if not, you heard it from Kate. You don't have to. And uh, in fact, 50% of the applications did not submit. So that's very encouraging. Thank you so much for that insight, Kate. 
How important are students' courses in progress and grades in senior year, Kate? Yeah, this is a great question. Um, And I think one that seniors really need to pay attention to um, (laughs) because one of an equally frustrating thing for me to see is if I'm looking at a student's application and I'm seeing that, you know, they've gotten some great grades and then all of a sudden I look at a senior year schedule and they're only taking the bare minimum number of classes and they're taking like three study periods, two lunches, and they're basically like ending their day a half day early. And then there's no reason to show for that. They're like not doing anything. Um, that basically right away is showing me that senioritis has kind of nipped them in the butt um, before their senior year even really started. And that is not a good thing to show a college. We want to see that you are going to be working hard up until the last moment possible because we want to be admitting students to our schools that are going to continue working hard and that are, you know, keeping that foot on the gas 100%. Um, So there are a couple reasons that, you know, you do this. Senior year is a great time to keep taking some of those challenging courses. So if, especially if, you know, you're really only starting to get into that junior year and we want to see more of that, senior year is your time to do that. Don't let your course load senior year. For South Carolina, it's also important to meet our necessary requirements. So we hold all of our applicants to the graduating requirements for the state of South Carolina. So they're pretty similar to graduating requirements for the state of New York with kind of two core exceptions. And those are everybody must complete a fourth year of math and there must be a second year of foreign language. And so when I see students that are taking that super light load senior year, it tends to be that they don't have that last year of math in it. And that is one of the big, big kind of red flags that are going to be jumping out at me because I'm seeing, you know, you might not love math, but for a lot of majors out there, you're going to be required to have a a basic math proficiency or take at least one math class in college. And if you're stopping early, that's not a good sign to see. Um, Your courses are also going to be checked in your grades at the end of the year. What a lot of students don't realize is there's some fine print on your acceptance letters from every college you get. And that fine print is actually saying, you know, this acceptance is contingent upon your completion of high school and your senior year grades. So any college you get into can rescind their offer based on how you finish your senior year of college or high school. So if all of a sudden, you know, you stop working in senior year and you go from being, you know, an AB student to being like a straight D student or D's and F's, um, you could find yourself not having a place to go next fall. And that's not exactly where you're going to want to be, I bet. So um, you could have a lot of t-shirts and sweatshirts and, you know, mom might have ordered some balloons and a cake that have a school on it that you are no longer admitted to. So uh, those courses in progress and those grades from senior year are very, very important. 
Well, Kate, thank you for that great advice and great insight in terms of how you look at the senior year. That is extremely helpful, again, to our students and their parents. What are some examples of college essays, Kate, that really stuck with you? In other words, you read the essay and you said, this kid has to come to the University of South Carolina. They have to be in our classrooms. Yeah. Okay. So I think I have a couple, I have different kind of favorite ones that stick out to me each year. And so um, I have two examples I'll share. So one is an essay that's actually from last year. And I, it's from a student on Long Island and I use her essay example whenever I do essay writing workshops actually with students. And she loves the fact that I talk about it because she was actually so unsure about the topic. And then to hear that more than a year later, I still remember it. She was just so excited and so proud <laughs> because I think it's one of those things that you don't know if it's gonna stick out and it did. So the student wrote her essay about the fact that her dad makes this family famous green bean casserole. And <laughs> when he makes this green bean casserole, the entire family comes together. Her brothers that don't live at home will find out that he's making it and they will come home for the night and like sleep over at the family home just because they want to be there to eat as much of it as possible and the obsession and the focus on this that like she will sit in the kitchen with him all day long while he makes it but at the same time there was this parallel story going on that she was drawing these connections to her own mental health journey her anxiety and her tendency to fixate on things and it was just this really wonderful comparison where she was talking about her growth and how she has come to realize how you know her mental health journey is her own journey and how you know it's her superpower and it has also sometimes been her downfall but how she planned to use that at the University of South Carolina and how that that obsession with the green bean casserole kind of came hand in hand um, I don't really like green beans, but I told her <laughs> that I really want to go over to family dinner sometime when she's home over the summer. So um, that's a student that I've kept in touch with, and, and she is a student at South Carolina in her freshman year that she'll be finishing up soon. Um, the Great. second one is from this year. Um, so it is a student who I don't know for sure she's coming, but I am like crossing my fingers and my toes. <laughs> uh, so being a New Yorker, um, did you ever learn the Erie Canal song in school? I have not, Kate. I have not. Are you going to sing it for us? <laughs> not going to sing it, but it's one that's like, I've got a mule, her name is Sal, 15 miles on the Erie Canal. Oh, I've heard. Absolutely. Yes, yeah! yes. Okay. Everybody that goes to school in New York has heard this yes. song. Uh, it's a student that's from upstate New York and talked about how she didn't like appreciate where she grew up when she was younger but she kind of used like many quotes from this song two or three times in her essay and related it back to the history of where she is from and how it impacted her growing up normally i'm not a fan of quotes in essays but there were these 
teeny tiny little quotes from the song and talked about you know historical figures and what that has meant for her as a young woman growing up in this area and how she has learned and she has grown and the impact that she's going to make on the world from it. And it was something that was just totally unique and I've never seen anything like it. It just so happened that it triggered a lot of personal memories for me. Um, right. And But it was actually read by some of my colleagues at first who had no connection to the song and had no idea what she was talking about because they were all from South Carolina. But they sent it to me afterwards and they were like, go look at this essay because it's pretty interesting. And then I saw it and I was like, I'm obsessed with this right now. Um, so those are the two from these past two years that stand out. But I have essays from the past you know, five years that I just I love for all different reasons. Well, I love both of those examples. And the common theme in the two of them, very different stories, but the common theme is how did it impact the person writing the essay? And I think it's fair to repeat, as we've talked about in previous episodes, you have an entire application with multiple pieces in it. The transcript is something that you work on for many years, students, in terms of your grades, your, the rigor of the courses that you're taking, and on and on. The essay is really that piece of the application that allows you to show off your personality, your character, what makes you tick, what drives you. And so the common theme in both of those essays that you pointed out, very different, one in terms of the fall of the cooking, the other one with the Erie Canal song. But in both cases, it, the students talked about how it impacted them, giving you the admissions counselor insight in terms of who these people are as human beings, right? It's not about regurgitating the fact that you were part of X amount of clubs, that you took this course, that course, and you scored this grade. You see that on the activity sheet. You see that on the transcript. So that essay is so important that the students are able to convey something new about them in terms of who they are and, of course, what their personalities are like. So thank you so much, Kate, for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I think when – and I talk about the essay with students a lot. And truthfully, it's it's one of my favorite pieces of the application because, as I like to say – you know, you could have a friend that you go to high school with and, you know, technically you could take all the same classes. You could somehow get all the same grades and be in all the same clubs, but you can't write the same essay. And that's the one part where I feel like I could really envision a student. And so the first student that I was talking about, um, she wrote that essay and then I read her application during the COVID year. So we never actually met one another. And the first time I actually met her in person was just this past January when I was on campus for an event. And it was the very first time we met. We had only ever exchanged emails. I had you know, spoken to her family and answered her parents' questions on the phone. But it was so exciting meeting her because it felt like I had known her forever because of the way that she approached her application. My three pieces of advice for an essay are always make sure we learn something new, which is kind of what you were saying, and keep the focus on yourself. So a saying that we always like to use in college admissions is 
If you're going to write your essay about somebody else, make sure the focus is still on yourself. We don't want to admit grandma, grandpa, or mom, or dad <laughs> into our university. We want to admit you. So tell us about you. And my like last piece of advice is I'm a firm believer that there is no bad topic. It's all about how you write about it. So a lot of times you'll hear that there are topics that are quite frequently written about. Um, so a lot of sports things, um, you know, we read a lot about different volunteer mission trips and I enjoy every essay I read as long as the way you write about it is a different take. So writing about you know, your a mental health journey, but in a way that only you could write it. Writing about a sports injury or your team winning the big game, but the way that only you could write about it. How did you contribute to this? How is your story different? I don't need to read a sob story. Um, the piece of advice I got when I was writing my college essay years ago was, you know, if you're not funny, don't use this opportunity to try to be funny. Um, <laughs> don't try and create a sob story because you think that's what a college uh, admissions counselor wants to read. Don't write this essay for me. Write this essay for yourself and let me read it. Right. That's great advice. And I love that you mentioned grandma and grandpa. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of grandmas and grandpas that would love to come to the University of South Carolina, as would I. But it's great advice in terms of if you're going to talk about someone else, how does it relate to you? How, do, how did that story impact you so that your character, your personality could come through in the essay? Kate, tremendous advice. Great insight on the essay. Thank you so much. A student's activity sheet is another piece of their application. What are the kinds of things you are looking for beyond the work that the student did in the classroom? I think if I were to break it down into two words, they would be passion and leadership. But those two things can show in a lot of different ways. So I think Leadership is the first thing that can freak a lot of people out because a lot of times we hear the word leadership and the only way we think of that is in terms of, you know, uh, that means I have to be the captain of my team or I have to be the president of the class. But that's not true because leadership can take a lot of different forms. You might not be the captain of your team, but maybe you're somebody that gets to lead like uh, stretches every day, or maybe you're the person that gets to lead, you know, the cool down. Um, you can tell I was not on a lot of sports teams from <laughs> my lack of references here, but those are little pieces of leadership. And those are important. You know, if you have a part-time job, um, if you're a babysitter, being a babysitter, somebody's trusting you with their children. That is a lot of responsibility <laughs> and that is showing me leadership. Uh, the fact that somebody has their own children and they are going to place them in your care for an extended period of time. It's leadership. Uh, let's say you're trusted to open or close a business or be there without, you know, uh, somebody that's you know, over 18. Um, that That's a pretty good sign of leadership as well. So don't automatically say, I don't have leadership because I've never been the president of the club 
or I've never done this. That's where that description under the activity can be really important also. Think about ways that your participation may have displayed your leadership opportunities as well. And it's also not too late right now because you still have a little bit of time, you still have summer, you still have some time in the fall to get those opportunities and, and to, to try something and to show your leadership abilities. When it comes to passion, though, I wanna see dedication to something. We use the terms depth and breadth. So depth in terms of how long have you been involved in an activity and breadth in terms of you know, the activities you have engaged in. So in terms of, you know, how many spaces are you using on that activity sheet? You don't need to max out all the spaces, but I want to see that you maybe committed yourself to, to more than one thing. Um, you know, a good commitment to two, three things with some leadership in there. It's good to see. Like I said, I want to see that your time is being used up by something other than you know, watching television. Um, don't get me wrong. I'm a good, big fan of a Netflix binge watching <laughs> session. Um, but I want to know that you're doing something other than studying and watching TV. What is it that is driving you? And this is important because this is how I'm going to picture you on my campus. I want to picture you doing something other than being in my classrooms and sitting in your residence hall. So this is how you're going to do it. Um, Sometimes the way that I'll see depth in an activity is, so let's say, for example, uh, you're really into music. So a lot of times, maybe I'll see this in terms of somebody that is an orchestra. So you have been in the school orchestra for a number of years. You have also been in a private orchestra. Or you've taken private lessons somewhere. You've also tutored another student or you've helped give private lessons. And those are maybe a couple entries on your activities list. Maybe you have only done, you know, the you've given private lessons for like a year. That doesn't look, you don't think that looks like having depth, but I'm seeing passion there because you're staying very involved in music. And I'm seeing depth because I'm saying, you know, you have a long-term involvement with orchestra, with your instrument. And you're doing this clearly a lot of time and you're spending a really big commitment to it over a number of years. So I don't go through your application with a checklist. I don't say, you know, this student must have one sport, check. They must be in student government, check. They must play an instrument, check. Uh, it doesn't work like that. Trust me, if that's how it worked, I never would have gotten into college. Uh, <laughs> I was not musically inclined and uh, my sport of choice was bowling because I was not coordinated that much, but we are looking for you to be you. Trust me, if we were looking for cookie cutters, the University of South Carolina would be a very boring place. Use the activity sheet, take your time and embrace that description section. And lastly, have somebody else look over this. If you're struggling, this is a good time to bring in a parent or guardian because this is the place you need to brag about yourself a little. And if you're having trouble doing that, I understand. But you know who doesn't have trouble bragging about you? 
your parents. <laughs> that is so true. And another common theme, whether it's the activity sheet, the essay, it's using those pieces of the application to really let your personality, your interests shine through. So Kate, I really appreciate that answer. And I know that the students and parents do as well. Thank you so much again. Kate, what about a student that may have had an IEP while in high school? Do you offer any related services for students that have had an IEP? And if you do, could you just elaborate in terms of what the University of South Carolina has? Absolutely. This is a question that I am being asked more and more. And so the number one thing that I think families and especially students need to know is that this is a time when students need to learn how to be their own self-advocate. And especially as they're going to college and as soon as they hit 18, they need to be in the driver's seat of this process. Uh, the school and the offices are going to have to communicate with them now that they're 18 years old. When the student says, if they're indicating, you know, I want my parent in on this meeting with me, if it's a Zoom meeting or I want to call them in, that's a different story. But practicing and doing some of these little steps now could be a really great way to help your student get prepared for this. At the University of South Carolina, we will need documentation of your students' necessary accommodations or just if there is, you know, um, whether it is a mental, academic, or physical disability. And so getting any testing done before, I usually say, try and get that done before you're 18, just from families I've spoken to, gets very expensive once they turn 18. So just get that done beforehand. Um, but our office is able to typically work with paperwork that is up to, you know, two, two and a half years old. So if it is something that you've gotten done in the past year and insurance isn't going to cover it again before they're 18, that's okay. Um, we're able to, to work with you on that. The main resource that your student will work with is called our Student Disability and Resource Center. They will register each separate semester after they have signed up for their classes. And they'll set up a one-on-one -on -one meeting with an advocate in that office that'll sit down with them, go over their class listing, and talk about what accommodations they might need. Is it going to be something like sitting down and um, having a note taker, extended time on exams, if it is um, a mobility issue, and a room that a class is assigned in actually has to be relocated someplace because it is not easily accessible, then those are all things that we take very seriously and are going to make happen. And so having that advocate in the resource center is something that's really important. The reason it needs to be done each semester is because your student is taking different classes each semester and accommodations will change and will be different there are everything can be done pretty anonymously so if, like if your student needs a note taker or recording lessons they will help arrange a note taker who would then send the notes to the resource center and they would direct them to your student so the note taker would never know who they're taking notes for so it's pretty helpful and pretty easy we have a couple other resources on campus that are open to all of our students 
We have a student success center that offers tutoring. They have some peer-led study groups. We also have a writing center on campus to help with writing and editing papers. We have a math lab. There is assistance for pretty much any student. So even if you don't have an IEP, but you find that maybe just writing and English aren't your best subjects and you want somebody else to kind of give a peek over those papers, um, definitely was my case. I am a numbers person, 100%, not a words person. Um, I found that using a writing center was incredibly helpful in college. And that's something that is there for everybody, but also for our students that may have had IEPs, some of these resources will be recommended to them as well. Well, thank you so much for that, Kate. And just so you know, if there are any links to these programs that you mentioned, of course, we'll include the Office of Admissions link to the University of South Carolina. Please share them with me, Kate, and I'll be, I'll be happy to put them into the show notes. Lastly, Kate, what are the three top pieces of advice you would give a student and their parents who are getting ready for the college process? Oh, this is so hard. Um, I feel like there's just there are so many pieces of advice. Um, and so I feel like people need to listen to every single episode. Um, and I'm not doing that to, <laughs> to plug every episode. Um, but just because so many of my amazing colleagues at other universities have really great things to say also. Um, so the number one thing is staying organized. I think if you look at the college application process all at once, it can seem very daunting, but I'm a full believer that it doesn't have to be because if you are staying organized and you're just taking it like bit by bit, then you can get through it. And it doesn't need to be something that completely controls your life, becomes the only topic of conversation at the dinner table, keeps everybody up at night. Um, so stay organized, whatever that means for you. If it's purchasing a wall calendar, if it is creating a separate Google account and actually like doing it all digitally, taking lots of notes, having notebooks, a separate notebook for every school that you're applying to, um, which hopefully will encourage you to apply to fewer schools so you don't buy as many books, <laughs> um, stay organized. The second piece of advice is to create what I call the list of non-negotiables. So I say that fit for a college comes down to three factors. It comes down to the academic fit, the social fit, and the financial fit. So what you should do pretty early in your process is make a list of everything that a college you're applying to or going to must have. So examples, an academic fit has to have a major that you're interested in. Uh, it has to have, if you want to do, you know, uh, if you want to do look at an honors college, it has to have an honors college. Uh, some social fit things. If you want to be within a certain distance of home, uh, you've got to have that there. So for me, when I went to undergrad, I said, I want to be in driving distance. I want to say three and a half hours away for undergrad. When I went to grad school, I said, I want to be plane distance away. So <laughs> my circle changed a little bit. Um, other social things, if you decide you definitely want to go to a school with Greek life or a school without Greek life, um, 
So for me, it, that wasn't a factor for undergrad at all. Um, I wound up joining Greek Life. So for grad school, I wanted to be able to work with a Greek Life chapter. So when I decided to go to grad school at South Carolina, I wanted to be able to do that. So going to South Carolina, we do have about 25% of our students that participate in Greek life. And so that was something that was important to me to look at. Another social thing um, could be a large school, a small school, um, being in a city, being in a more suburban area, all of those little preferences. And then the last form of fit that I said, financial. What is doable for your family. This is a, a conversation that often happens way too late in the process. So often our families wait until the very end, this March, April timeframe to see what are these schools going to offer? Um, did we get scholarships? And then if the money doesn't turn out like you're hoping it did, that's making for a very tough conversation among students and families. So you need to, I think, move that conversation way up to the beginning and set those expectations. Parents being honest with students and saying, this is what we're going to be able to assist you with, or we're not going to be able to assist upfront with these college expenses. So that students have this realistic expectation of, you know, this is what I am going, I'm going to be coming out with X number of loans. Um, do I need to readjust and set my expectations on an in-state school? Do I need to be shooting for schools where I'm going to be much more scholarship eligible? Those conversations, when you know your financial fit, will help your school counselor also give you some recommendations. Having those up front and adding that to your list of non-negotiables will really help. So I always say non-negotiables, really important. Because also at the end of the process, if you're stuck between two or three schools, if you go back and you literally have that list written down, you should be able to go through that list and find that only one or two of those schools really meet everything on there. And then it's going to be based on the little things. It's going to be based on that gut feeling, that visit, the people, and, and it helps. My last piece of advice is always asking the experts. Um, a huge downfall I find is when people get information from sources like social media, um, Google searches, non-university websites, uh, friend of a friend of a friend, um, <laughs> you know, that's what, that's what I'm here for. That is what our phone line is. That's what our website is. That's what our emails are there for. When you have a question and you don't know the answer, a quick search on our website or shooting a quick email off to me is the smartest thing that you can do because that's my job. My job is to answer your emails. My job is to be there as a resource for you. And my job is to know all of this information and know it like the back of my hand. And if you ask me something that stumps me, First of all, kudos to you because uh, <laughs> I've been around a few years, so I've been asked like everything under the sun, but also I am very determined and I will work on finding that answer for you and getting it back to you as soon as possible. So stay organized, keep that list of non-negotiables, and please trust the experts in this process. 
Kate, those are tremendous pieces of advice. You said it. Stay organized is the first one. So many different schools out there, so many different deadlines. So whether it's getting a notebook, having a chart on a wall, it's so important to keep everything in line, particularly if you visit campuses, write down your thoughts, your impressions, almost like a journal entry. I think those are great pieces of advice there in terms of staying organized. What are your non-negotiables? And you broke it down to social, academic, and financial. We can't emphasize the point in terms of knowing what you can or cannot afford. So having those conversations early with your family are extremely important. And lastly, ask the experts. And you are one of the experts, as well as your colleagues in admissions. And it's part of the reason why we have shows like this, so that people can get more insight from the experts and, again, understand how accessible all of you truly are. So I can't thank you enough. I'm very excited about this episode because I know you provided so much great insight, so much great advice for our students and their parents. And we hope to have you again, Kate. Thank you for your time today. Awesome. It was a blast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please don't forget to tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am your host, John Durante, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Cap.